0: All right, everyone, Uh Swade Monday, Monday with Mondays live for the Tennessee Holler with Keita Haynes, as she's retweeting this to get all of her legions of fans and followers to uh, to come on and to listen to our conversation today, a week after uh, the Democratic congressional primary campaign here in Tennessee. Uh, Keita is a household name by now. Everyone knows her by a first name, Keita, as she's going around mall. Uh, Part of her self care regimen. Uh, so, Akita, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Wade. How are you? Hey, everyone. Um, I am doing really good. I'm doing good today.
0: You should feel good. You ran an extraordinary campaign, and I know you had great volunteers and a great team around you. And every politician says that's oh, because of my te- team. But you truly have an inspiring story, and you truly ran a really great campaign. So. Uh, what are some of your thoughts coming off the campaign? What did you do this weekend to relax and uh, and, yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, about the weekend?
1: Yes, yeah, so um i I really had a a great team. um would not have been able to do what we did. Without um, indivisible, without our revolution, without um, you know Howie with Blue America, without Mary Anne um, who endorsed us, without you endorsing us, without Abby um, endorsing us, Senator Gilmore, Um, Sean Parker. I mean, just without, you know, all of those endorsements and everybody just really believing in me and recognizing that it was time for a change here in Nashville. And then just everybody, you know, just all of the support, um, the people that worked the polls, um, people that signed up to do the lit drops and we were doing lit drops and it was 97 degrees outside in districts one and two. And so the people that signed up to do that, I think at one point in time we had over 100 plus volunteers that had signed up to do texting with Hustle and all of that. And so I really and truly, this was a team effort. And that's why I always said that, you know, when I win, we all win, because this was never a campaign that was about me. This was a campaign that was really about us, really about, you know, the people in Nashville, about so many of us that that felt it was time for change, that the, the people that have been representing us were not really representative of who we were. So many of us felt locked out and left behind and just really wanted to make sure that we had a seat at the table and that our voices were being amplified. And so that's what it was about for me. The Like I said, the support was just phenomenal. It was it was great. And, you know, and I, you know, am still humbled by The support even now to this day still you know days later um you know so yes it was great uh friday i um, got up earlier than i normally would have for whatever reason and so because i was up i just started Um, you know, writing out some ideas. Of course, I'm working with Free Hearts and, um, you know, getting back into the swing of things with what we're doing there. And, you know, just some ideas that I wanted us to expand upon some things that, you know, that hopefully we can talk about, do, um, you know, with the the legislative session that's going to be coming up in 2021 with the relationships that we've built. And, you know, so, yeah, so that's what I did uh, Friday, um, Saturday, What did I do Saturday? I don't even remember what I did Saturday. Um, Saturday was probably more of the same. Yesterday, had brunch with a friend um, and went shopping for um, some new um, dining room furniture. Um, That's a whole nother story why I'm shopping.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you deserve it. And you got so many Tennesseans, not just middle Tennesseans who could vote for you, but so many people got excited about your campaign, partly because of, you are, the story that's behind you. And also, like you said, we've never had a candidate like you. And so if you could just tell me a little bit about your backstory, how you went from being a victim of a wrongful conviction, and then a victim from federal mandatory minimum sentencing, and and then how you got the wild idea to run for Congress and, and restore your voting rights, restore your civil rights.
1: So, um, so just, you know, for those that that don't know, um, I feel like that every, everybody knows my story now. But um, I um I, I I'm originally from Franklin, Tennessee. I've been here in Nashville since 2006 when I came home from federal prison after serving almost four years for a crime that I didn't commit. I put myself through law school while I was working full time as a legal secretary and went to law school at night at Nashville School of Law graduated law school in 2012, took the bar, passed the bar, and was sworn in in December of 2012 as an attorney um, for the state of Tennessee. And that following year in June of 2013, I started working as a public defender, representing people who couldn't afford um, to hire their own attorneys. And I loved every single bit of that, loved my clients, still keep in touch with so many of them um, to this day and um did that for six and a half years and then i started working at free hearts back in december which is a nonprofit organization run by women that have been formerly incarcerated and we do various different things in the community around um social justice racial justice issues criminal justice issues and i am the the senior legal advisor there at free hearts and have been doing that ever since december and um you know, I just decided that, you know, I was going to run for Congress, um, you know, never, never thought that I would ever run for for office at all. Um, and, you know, but as as a public defender, we're talking with my clients and, you know, and, and being in the community, just recognize that there were so many issues that people were, were having and dealing with in the community that no one was dealing with. And um, and you know and then of course with my own personal experience um, you know just seeing how the fictitious war on drugs just decimated black and brown and low income communities just felt compelled to do something about it and even before I decided that I was going to run for office back in 2016 I wrote Jim Cooper a letter telling him, you know, a little bit about my background that I was working as a public defender now. And so seeing things from both sides, from being someone, you know, that was a defendant and also being someone that was a defender and volunteered to work with him and other members of Congress, um, you know, around criminal justice reform, because I personally think that those of us that are closest to the problems are closest to the solutions. And he met with me for about 15 minutes and then I never heard from him again. And so, you know, just really started to look at you know, just what was going on in Congress and you know and 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 looking at you know Jim Cooper and just recognizing and hearing from other people that that's who he was was that you know just wasn't wasn't really doing anything about our issues here. and so just decided that you know, I would you know step up and do it, talk with various people. People have been saying that they wanted someone to run against Jim Cooper, but nobody ever had the courage to do so and you know, like I said, I'm always up for a challenge. I feel like that that's what my life has been, my adult life has been. Um, and, you know, I just, whenever I see that there's a need and I feel like that I'm in a position to do something about it, I, I feel compelled to do what I can about it. So that's thats why we're here now.
0: <laughs> Thanks for that. And full disclosure, I'm a true fanboy. uh from, from early in the campaign. I didn't jump on early enough, I don't think, but, um, I have always been so impressed with you. And what's so impressive, I think, is that not only was your desire to run for office born out of a personal experience and the personal injustices you faced, but from experiences that you saw as a public defender. And I want to know, how how did you receive encouragement to, to pursue the path that you're on now? And you know, even going back to when you were incarcerated, what was it like being in federal prison and I, you know, among the lowest moments in your life, I have no doubt who was there to encourage you and were they there for you on the campaign trail?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I've been fortunate to always have family and friends along the way um, that have always encouraged me. Um, You know, I've, I've always been a person that that has never really let, Anything, um, you know, keep me from doing what I want to do. I'm that person that like when I get an idea that this is what I'm going to do, like I kind of get tunnel vision and say this is what I'm going to do and and move forward in it. And, you know, anything that anybody says um, doesn't really deter me from doing it. And so I had already said that I was going to be a lawyer before any of this happened and actually had. I'm a job as a legal secretary before I went to prison. And I had to call them and tell them that I couldn't take the position because I had to report to federal prison. And so when I was there, you know, I didn't, I didn't let, you know, what I was going through really keep me from what I was going to do. Honestly, what I thought was that because I had went to trial and so I still had my appellate rights. And so honestly, what I thought was that you know, that somebody was going to, you know, see the light and be like, oh no, like this girl's not guilty. And, you know, and my conviction was going to be overturned. And and so whether I was going to have to do this with a conviction on my record was never really something that I thought about because, you know, again, I was, wasn't guilty and just knew that my conviction was going to be overturned. And then when, when it wasn't, I mean, I, it was almost as if like I was too far down that road to like even, even do or consider anything else. And then it was almost kind of, it was, it was almost as if like I'm going to do this in spite of kind of thing is, is, is what it became. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I did.
0: (laughs) Well, Jack King from Knoxville hopes you'll set your mind to running for Congress again. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but uh, (laughs) it certainly seems like you've got a lot of fortitude and strength to endure. One of the things that I'm curious about how, you know, I think you were very intentional and, and, you know, by necessity uh, to say I was wrongfully convicted Mm -hmm. and that's the way you frame your past. And mm-hmm. what happened, uh, news headlines, some of them would say convicted Falonquita Haynes. And mm-hmm. you know it makes it makes one cringe that you know the work that you've done to restore your civil rights, you're still defined by that lens. So
1: how did you react
0: to those headlines and, and what was your experience with the local media?
1: Yes, so um, going into this, I knew that that was going to be an issue. Um, I, I told my team that, you know, I was waiting for the day for, you know, like ex-felon, ex-convict running against Jim Cooper because I said that it was going to be a teachable moment mm-hmm. uh, because I subscribe to that language. Um, you will notice that anytime I speak about myself or anybody um, that has been in jail or prison, I. I say someone that has been formally incarcerated or someone that has been impacted by the justice system. That's the language that I use, and um, you know, throughout campaigning, that's the language that I use. And when people would say otherwise, um, I would correct them. And 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 so I really believe that. You know, it's it's hard for me. I, I see the comment of running against Blackburn. <laughs> that would be a
0: contrast. Um, that would be a contrast. Keita Hands <laughs> versus Marsha Blackburn. I
1: know. I know. Um, but for me, it was like it's hard for me to really, really take someone seriously that says that they are involved in criminal justice reform when you are calling the very people that you are trying to help. a a name that is, that is demeaning. Um, And so, because you don't hear advocates that are advocating for immigration reform, you don't hear them calling, you know, people that are undocumented, you don't hear them calling them people that are illegal. You know, you don't hear that, you know, um, you know, and because language matters. um, And even, you know, people that are advocating around LGBTQ issues, you know, you don't hear them using, you know, language that's dehumanizing. And so, you know, I, we don't need language that's dehumanizing for people that have been formally incarcerated because it's not who they are. Um, I think, you know, Don Harrington said it best when she retweeted it on Twitter and she was just like, you know, you know, we are mothers, we are fathers, we are sisters, we are brothers. Um, you know, you, we we are more than you know something that has happened to us and so and so it again and like I said it was just a really a teachable moment for people around the language that we're using when it comes to that. And so you will notice that because like originally that was like, it was like, you know, ex-felon turned public defender, you know, that was. And and I even had to tell, you know what I'm saying? The person who was our publicist was just like, look, you guys know that I am very particular about this language and You know, and even, you know, I even like said something in the comment, you know, about the CNN article, because, I mean, I appreciate, you know, CNN following the story right in the article. But it's important that that we get the language right and that we not, you know, dehumanize people when we're doing that. And so you saw the language actually changing in some of the other articles that start coming out about that, because I was very adamant about, you know, if you're going to write a story about me, this is this is this is how you're going to refer to me.
0: Yeah. So it's not about you being personally offended necessarily, but being offended on behalf of all people who were Mm -hmm. were previously incarcerated Mm -hmm. and victims or impacted by the system, as you say. So that, that intentionality, I think many Tennesseans would say, you know, that political correctness is what they're fighting against right now. I mean, any form of political correctness is offensive to many Tennesseans, but it sounds like what you and, and perhaps, even other movements that are aligning, you know, with, uh, with the times right now, they're searching for empathy, searching for other people who have not been impacted by the justice system to see how that, that stays with you for a long, long time, even doing something as impressive as running for Congress. And so, you know, on the campaign trail, who did you hear from that, that moved you? And that may may encourage you to run again, or may encourage you to stay politically active. What were some of the inspiring stories that you heard on the trail?
1: Um, so uh, you know, there were so many of them. Um, I was you know so inspired by so many people. Um, you know, people, other people that have been formally incarcerated that said that they, you know felt like that they couldn't tell people that they had been formally incarcerated because of the stigma that is associated with that. And then to see me openly and freely talking about it. Um I think I think even Noelle um Bibbins who was running in, you know, in District Four, I think she even started talking about some issues that she had, had previously. Um, because, you know, what I wanted to do is that, you know, is to, to you know, what I'm saying to make this where it's not a stigma. And, and really what it was about is that for people to see us as as, you know, other than Something other than what we see on TV regarding people that have been formerly incarcerated. You know, we've all seen you know all of the shows and you know, and Oranges and New Black and Cops and you know whatever all of the shows out there about people that have been formerly incarcerated. And so it was an opportunity for me to really change the narrative and to say this is who we are, and then also around what we can do as people that have been formerly incarcerated because. You know, you and I had the conversation earlier about people that have been formally incarcerated, basically because of so many barriers to reentry are relegated to living as second class citizens. And, you know, and just wanted to say, you know what? Hey, like, you know, we. We are, we're people just like everybody else. Like you hear people that, um, you know, that have been through recovery and, you know, and they go through recovery and they're able to continue on. And, you know, and, and they have this saying, like, we do recover. And so, you know, it's just like they, you know, if they're not bound by, you know, their past and situations and circumstances in our past, you know, we shouldn't be. And I think, you know, um, it may have been, I, it may have been Hillary Clinton or someone that said, like, you know, we're all more than the worst thing that we've done or have been alleged to have done. I think and it was
0: so, Andrew Gillum in Florida who said that. Yeah, I
1: think so many people have said it, like, in so many different shapes and forms and fashions, because I, I know, um, you know, Brian Stevenson, um, he talks mm-hmm. about that as well, too, particularly in his book, Just Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I think people have different versions of saying that. And, and so it's true. And And I find that we're more forgiving when it comes to, you know, people in other situations versus people that have been formally incarcerated. And so I wanted to show people, you know, hey, we're, we're more than that. And so getting messages from people that have been formally incarcerated saying they were able to talk about their situations and, you know, and wanting to do things that they never thought they could do. And then just other people who said that, you know, they thought about stepping out and doing, you know, things and because they saw me step out and do it, you know, now that they also have the courage, you know, to do so. So like I said, you know, hopefully we've created a movement here where, you know, those of us that, you know, don't come from a certain background, you know, those of us that may have had some things that have happened to us in our past, you know, that somebody else may, you know, consider, you know, not as favorable or or any of those types of things, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that we all say, you know what, regardless of our past, regardless of our situation, circumstances, it doesn't define us. And, you know, and, and people have the courage to step out and just to do and to be, you know, whatever it is that they're, you know, hoping to be. Hopefully, you know, there's some young girls that, you know, that saw me step out and be like, hey, you know what, like, you know we need to see you know i'm saying more women of color stepping out doing this in these positions and you know maybe they'll have an interest in in doing things like that and maybe it'll you know start us having conversations about the barriers to reentry that people face that have been formerly incarcerated and and start having those conversations about what we can do to remove those barriers because even when I was a lawyer working at the public defender's office, I was called a unicorn so many times because, you know, it's just like, oh, you don't see somebody that's been formally incarcerated being a lawyer, and I'm just like, that's the problem. And you know, and so we need to start removing these barriers to reentry, so that people that have been formally incarcerated that they have the option to do and to be whatever they want to do once they're done with that part of their lives as well. So, so for me, this campaign was about just just so so many things on so many levels.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know that quote that you 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 mentioned earlier, I think it came from Andrew Gillum who ran for the governor of Florida. He's recently run into some more personal problems, but it's so true that you shouldn't be defined by your worst day and mm-hmm. if you were wrongfully convicted, I'd like to know what is the worst thing you've done. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um But your campaign was so electrifying for a lot of people in middle Tennessee. In two years, the Democratic primary turnout went from 70,000 in 2018 to 85,000 this year. And I think it was largely because of your campaign and the support that it galvanized. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to your other point, which is that not a lot of uh, formerly incarcerated people become public defenders. Uh, Jack King writes, uh, why are so many elected officials former prosecutors? And is that a major issue? I imagine you do think it's a major issue. Um, and, and what can we do to elect more public defenders and justice minded people? I, you know, I have an idea that, you know, prosecutors have a lot of freedom within their careers to run for office and public defenders uh, aren't compensated fairly enough. Right.
1: I have a lot of thoughts about that, too. And this is this is a great question, um, you know, Jack. And, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about um, over the last couple of, of days. And it was something that I thought about a lot too. you know, leading up to office and running for office, because I said that no matter what I am doing, I will always be a public defender that that spirit that we have as public defenders where we are always, you know, speaking up for those in the community that have been considered the least of those, the ones who feel like that they don't have a voice, like I that is the public defender spirit. I, that is what is that is who I am and that is what I will always be doing, regardless of where I am and what I'm doing in my life. And but I think that what it is is that personally I just think that it's a lot of disrespect for who we are as public defenders because mm-hmm. You know, it the average person cannot be a public defender. I mean, like, they just can't. So like it takes it takes certain individuals to be public defenders and to go in there and to to do it and to stick with it and to really be effective. And and we as public defenders and public defenders all across the United States, we don't get the you know, the respect that that we deserve being public defenders. We sacrifice so much of ourselves, of our lives, of our careers, of of our families in order to do the work that we do. And it goes so unrecognized because public defenders have, you know, such a bad, you know, reputation. And, And that was also another thing with me being a public defender and representing my clients, you know, to the level that I did was that I wanted to be able to Give my clients the same level of representation, whether they could afford afford to pay five dollars for it, or whether they could afford to pay, you know, fifty thousand dollars for it. And 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 I think that that's the spirit of a lot of public defenders. And so it's about changing the narrative as to who we are as public defenders and what we are up against. Because you know, prosecutors they're not they're not up against you know the system. We are as public defenders. You know, we're up against the criminal justice system as a whole. And then when you start to pile on, you know, the systemic racism that is embedded within, you know, the, the public, uh, the um, criminal justice system, the classism that is embedded within the criminal justice system, when you start. And so people don't realize what we are up against and what we are faced with every single day advocating for our clients in the public defender system. I mean, like you, and ask any public defender and, and they, they will tell you. Um, you know, I mean we, we we go in already, you know, fighting, you know, a, a losing battle going in just because the you know I'm saying it's you know, the chips are just stacked so high against us and so and, and against our clients. And so Um, And and then there's that power dynamic in the criminal justice system that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to public defenders and judges and, you know, and, and DAs. And so there's that whole power structure. And you look at the way that it's set up and it's not even the judges that have the power in the courtroom, it's the DAs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so dismantling that system as well to being a public defender, you know, and recognizing that the power, you know, should lie, you know, with the person that is standing here that is having, you know, what I'm saying to be here in this courtroom for whatever reason, who is looking at having, you know, what I'm saying their liberty taken away from them. And mm-hmm. so there's so many different dynamics. And because of all of these different dynamics is the reason why you see more people that have been former prosecutors running for office, then you see, um, you know, public defenders doing so. Um, You know, and so hopefully there will be more public defenders because I think that with more public defenders and even more people that have been criminal defense attorneys that are moving into the political um, arena, it brings a different perspective than, you know, people that have been um, prosecutors their whole lives
0: and i think for people who talk about you know american heritage these days and remembering our founding fathers you are such an improvement above our founding father john adams a public the original public defender right and everyone deserves to have someone fighting for them in their corner in their worst day and mm-hmm. it would have been very inspiring for you to be in in our corner here in tennessee congressional district 5 fighting for us in Congress, um, we'll have to wait until 2022 for that to happen, hopefully. Uh, but reflecting on the campaign, uh, you know, just one or two two final questions: Was the campaign a success or a failure? And reflecting on that, what uh, what do you think went wrong, and what do you think went right?
1: So um, I, I did a, a Facebook Live, which I, I don't do those often, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was. I think it was the—I um, don't know if it was the last day of early voting, but it was—it was during early voting, and I, I know that it was like on a Saturday. And um, and I said, you know, regardless of of what happened, we had—we'd already won. When you have people saying that um, this was the first time that they have voted and been excited about voting for someone, you know, we've—we've we've won. Um, You know, when, you know, people have said that they have been inspired, we've won. Um, And so it was those types of things, um, you know, for me Um, and, and just the number, you know, the the amount of support. And that's why I said, you know, regardless of what happens on Election Day, regardless of what happens with the numbers, you know, we've already won because we've done something that nobody ever thought that we could do. And even, you know, on Thursday, the numbers didn't come out the way that, you know, we would have wanted them to be so that I could be representing us in the fifth district in Congress. We still won. And, and we, and what we did was that we, we started a movement here because this is what this was like. This wasn't a one-time thing. This wasn't just, you know, a moment. This was a movement. And, you know, and people actually felt like that they had somebody, who, um, you know, who was going to, you know, really, really help amplify their voices. Because I always said that it was never about being a voice for the voiceless, because everybody has a voice. It's just, you know, we need to make sure that everybody is listening to people's voices. And so that's what it was about. It was amplifying people's voices. And they felt like that, you know, that they really had somebody that could do that. And so you know, we, we all won, um, you know, our, our, issues were presented, um, you know, we had people talking about our issues, people were listening. Um, and so, yeah, so, so we won, um, you know, in that sense. And, um, you know, as far as what went wrong, I mean, you know, we're going up against a 30 year incumbent mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and before, you know, now, unless you were somebody that had come into the courthouse, you probably didn't know who I was Mm -hmm. Uh, or somebody that just happened to be, you know, that I've worked with in the community, you know, regarding various other issues around criminal justice reform. You probably didn't know who I was. Um, And so it was that name recognition that we were, you know, of course, fighting against. But then also, too, you know, there, you know, and and I talked about this a lot, you know, with people, you know, we were talking about fighting systemic racism and dismantling systems of systemic racism, um, you know, when it comes to, criminal justice reform when it comes to health care, you know, when it comes to, you know, economics, when it comes to education. But I think the reality of it is is that we've got to talk about the systemic racism that is embedded within, you know, politics and within, you know, the Democratic Party within itself as well too, because You know, the fact that here we are with the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment being ratified and women having their right to vote, but yet still having women in the Democratic Party trying to decide if they were going to vote for me or a career politician. You know, I I think, you know, like we we have to ask ourselves, like, why is that? And particularly when we've never had a woman, you know, representing us on the congressional level at all and, and even, you know, just, You know with Marsha Blackburn having a female senator and that's all I'm going to say about that but I mean it still speaks to us you know I'm saying as women like we think that we've come so far but yet we haven't. And then when you have a woman and not just a woman, but, you know, a person of color. And then when you add into the fact that, you know, someone who's also impacted by the criminal justice system, but yet and still, you know, it's just like, oh, well, does she have the experience? But, you know, neglecting, you know, to realize that Jim Cooper didn't have any experience when he ran, um, you know, and, you know, and and just all of the. Um, all of the unrealistic expectations that that was put on me, um, and and you know, and like I said, I posted about this on Twitter, and not just from you know people from the left, and not just from you know liberal white women, but also black people, um, you know, because there was still this. Um, this this standard that i had to measure up um for for black people to want to vote for me
0: when in reality your experience your personal and professional experience is far beyond what anyone else in congress has you would have been the first black woman elected to congress in tennessee if you look at our congressional delegation it's all white men Mm -hmm. and you would have been the only formerly incarcerated person in congress if you were elected and um Unfortunately, you were you were only uh, a few thousand short uh, votes short of mm-hmm. that realization. But I think that would have brought a significant uh, change in the tenor and the tone of uh, what's happening in Congress, especially right now as we're talking about how an economic stimulus plan 2.0 could impact uh, Black and Brown communities and people of color. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, You know, again, your campaign was so inspiring and we see that in the comments, uh, you know, so happy to see progressives finally gaining some ground. It's been a long, long time. I'd say it's maybe mm-hmm. been the first time uh, yeah. in Tennessee and you running uh, against a three decades long incumbent and getting to where you did shows the strength of, of your attitude, your resolve and the team that you built around you. So, uh, personally, thank you uh, for running. Uh, it was really inspiring to watch, and I look forward to to watching you uh, continue to flourish in your career and and political career. If you uh, if you want to do that, um, you know, I know it's uh, it's pretty early, but what are some uh, future plans that you have? Has uh, Joe Biden's team vetted you for the vice presidency, <laughs> and uh, and what's the next step?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, they have not. Can you imagine, like, the stark contract with that, like, <laughs> Joe Biden being, you know, the Democratic nominee and, like, his vice president being someone that was impacted by this fictitious war on drugs that he was pushing with this 1994
0: crime bill? Like, can you, like, We, like, you. we all can, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, no, um, you know, right now, um, you know, getting back into everything, you know, with free hearts. Um, and so we have, um, a lot of initiatives that we are doing, that we are pushing, particularly around voter restoration. And we're really going to be ramping that up leading up to, um, the voter registration deadline, um, in October for the November election and um so i'm going to be doing a lot of things you know with that and you know whatever else our fearless leader don harrington um you know comes up with you know for us to be doing and then kind of getting our um you know, legislative platform together for 2021 that we're gonna be, um, you know, hopefully working with some people um, about some of those things. Um, I am going to be supporting Marquita Bradshaw. We all should be supporting Marquita Bradshaw going um, into November. And so I will be doing, you know, the things that I can, um, you know, with her to help out her campaign um, there. Hopefully we can, you know, help push her and get her, you know, over the top. And, um, and, you know, and we'll, you know, I, I haven't ruled out um, 2022, um, you know, have been talking to some people, you know, we've been kind of, you know, trying to figure out what the landscape is going to look like in 2022. Um, and so, yeah, so just, you know, just trying to figure out what it's going to look like. And if we're going to be doing this, how we're going to be doing this. Um, You know, I mean, like we were really only in the race since January and, you know, from January to August, like that was a lot. So I can't imagine like, you know, like campaigning for literally like two years. But
0: (laughs) uh for for everyone out there and I've made a mental note of this, I just switched my car insurance. This isn't a paid ad, but I switched my car insurance to Progressive and I'm saving one hundred dollars a month and I'm going to put that hundred dollars a month away. It's twenty four months until the primary election. And that gets me somewhere close to or above the maximum campaign contribution limit. So now I know what I can do with the campaign contribution limits. Progressive, you're welcome to sponsor this podcast and give us more money. Um, but I really do appreciate your running for office and, and your uh, your resolve, and not just in the campaign, but to um, to have endured so much in your in your personal life and to have. Uh, come out such a positive person. We were talking before uh, the podcast started about how, how you relax and unwind and prever- prevent burnout. And what's clear is that you don't do a lot of that because you are um, so committed to the causes you care about and to your community. And so, if I was Oprah, I'd give you a free spa day and a vacation. But I'm not, so um, I have to say, uh, treat yourself, uh, as uh, Donna would say on parks and recreation. And thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else that you'd you'd like to leave with before we sign off?
1: Um, I, I want to tell everybody again, I am, I, I just really appreciate all of the support. You know, just so humbled by it. Um, just all of the support that, that we got all of the, the, the messages and, and all of the people that are wanting to stay involved in, you know, any and everything that I am doing, you know, at this point. And so I really appreciate, um, you know, that, and I am going to continue fighting regardless of, you know, whether I'm in Washington, whether I am here on the ground in Nashville, I'm going to continue fighting because that's, that's what I've always done. I don't know to do anything else. Um, and if you want to, you can also, um, you can shoot me an email at, um, one at gmail.com. We are always looking for volunteers at free hearts. And like I said, we have, you know, a lot of great initiative, a lot of great things that we're going to be doing and that we're going to be posting about. So if you'd like to volunteer, you can shoot me an email and I will make sure that, um you i'm able to get you in touch with don harrington who um you know will be coordinating our volunteers and those types of things i'll be posting about um just various things that i will be doing myself and i will say this i mentioned it the other day um on twitter um i do have a book that is coming out um it was supposed to have been out by now, but we had some issues with one of the writers. And so we had to get a new one, you know, neither here nor there. And so it's working out great. And the rough draft will be submitted to the um, publisher by September 1st. And so the book will be coming out in 2021. So look for that so that, you know, you can hear all about, um Keita Haynes and everything that she went through, because just telling my story, like that's that's only the surface of of everything that will be in the book. So would love your support there when it comes out. I will be giving out more information as I am able to when that happens. And yeah, so we're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep fighting and um, I'm going to keep having conversations with people about what 2022 looks like and. Maybe making um, an announcement about that um, sometime soon in the near future as well too. Well,
0: that's very exciting. And the Equity Alliance Fund said, "Hi, to Tita. This is probably more for you because you're better in the fight than I am. But I will support you and, uh, and and fight fight alongside with you. So keep the keep up the good fight. And again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for running.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Right, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.